Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. I'm Henry Chisholm. It's Monday, and I just got back from Carl Durrell's introductory press conference. Um, we're going to dig into that. We might spend the whole show talking because um, he talked for about an hour today. Uh, I, I mean, he with Phil DiStefano, the chancellor, and Rick George, they combined to talk for just under an hour today. Um, I would guess that um, Darrell himself was up there for 40 minutes, maybe more. Um, and to be quite honest, I like him more today than I did yesterday. Um, and I wasn't necessarily low on him coming into this. Um, I think that there has always been a lot to like about him. But uh, after hearing him talk, after kind of getting to know him a little bit, I like it. I I I, uh, I, th- I think that w- we get bogged down in names so much. You know, you, you hear Steve Sarkeesian. That's a name we've been hearing over and over and over for years and years and years. Ever since he first got his job as like a 32-year-old head coach at Washington, turned that program around, uh, goes to USC, has his name all over the media for, you know, kind of the wrong reasons. And uh, then he becomes the offensive coordinator at Alabama the next year after serving as an offensive analyst all season. He gets promoted to offensive coordinator for the national championship game when the offensive coordinator leaves. You know, he has been in the limelight. We've heard his name. It's somebody who, if, if you go up to a random football st- fan and say, hey, what do you think of Steve Sarkeesian? They'll have takes. 
They might say, no, I'd never trust him with my program. They might say, wow, he could be a star in the making. But they all have takes because that's the kind of name that he is. Um, Throughout this process, we've gotten to know candidates. We've gotten to know Alex Grinch. We've gotten to know Andy Avalos. Not because they were ever actually tied to the job. You know, there were reports that Grinch was. Um, We all thought that Avalos would be. And so we talked about them. We talked about those guys. We talked about the defenses they ran. We talked about how well-liked they were. And we got to know them almost like... um, um, we got to know Sarkeesian. You know, it was a late process, but we the more we learned, the more we liked. We're like, okay, this could go well. We didn't know anything about Carl Durrell. That name kind of came out of nowhere. You know, I mean, we had the basic thoughts. We knew where he'd been. We'd know some little things about him, but he wasn't one of those names of guys that nationally everybody's saying, oh, yeah, he's, he's next up. Um, and I think that today my biggest takeaway and we'll dig into what he actually said my biggest takeaway was it is so wrong of us as sports fans to pay extra attention to the guys whose names are around you know if if you guys are like nuggets basketball fans you've been disappointed for years that Nikola Jokic isn't getting more hype nationally that that he doesn't get the attention that he should be getting um, as a great basketball player meanwhile Kyle Kuzma who I think is coming off the bench for the Lakers and really isn't much more than a replacement level player is getting all this attention because he dyes his hair and he's playing in LA and all this different stuff and he's a household name and he gets way pumped up he gets just as much media attention as Nicole Jokic does maybe even more despite not being the same basketball player and when you're here in Colorado it's frustrating it's frustrating to see that our guys don't get that hype and we get mad that other people don't see that but then on this side when we go through this coaching search we get frustrated um that we're hiring the guy who isn't as well-known nationally, that, that he isn't Steve Sarkeesian, that he isn't any of these other guys. You got to pick a side there. And you know what it comes down to? It's that Rick George knows more than us. Um, Lance Carl knows more than us. Not, not just because of the roles they're in, not just because they've been around football so long and their perspectives mean more and their opinions mean more. I hate that argument. I hate when Jeff Breidich comes out and tells the media, you know what? You can't talk trash about how I'm running the Rockies because you guys are just writers. You know what? Maybe, maybe we should be respecting his experience a little bit more, but for him to just talk down and say he's smarter than us, whether he's talking to the media, whether he's talking to fans, anything, that's frustrating. What you have to admit, though, is that he gets more information. And Rick George, throughout this process, has been in the interviews. He's he's talking to these guys face-to-face, and we aren't in the rooms hearing what they're saying. We don't know what Steve Sarkeesian says when he's talking with Rick George. We don't know what Carl Durrell says. And that's such an important piece of the puzzle, having that vision. And what we hear on the outside is what the media tells us. Um, and I try to avoid being the bad part of the media but we hear about steve sarkeesian again everything that happens with him is a story um same thing as lane kiffin is he a good football coach sure he's he's had some success whatever does he get more attention than he deserves um compared to other coaches who have had similar success all that kind of he gets more attention and that's just the way it's going to work carl durrell not one of the guys that gets all this attention and i think that means that the more we hear him talk the more we actually get to know him we realize He can be a good football coach, even if the national pundits haven't been clamoring for him to get a head coaching job um, off-season and off-season every single time. You know what? 
if if you're upset about this hire, then hopefully we can either talk through that or uh, you'll you'll come to to see what you can see by listening to what he's all about um, now that he is getting some of that attention and now that you will be exposed to him because today I was really impressed and I was surprised that we had kind of gotten to the point where it was like, oh no, Carl Durrell, how is that going to happen? Because he's a good football coach and you've seen that every stop he's made. Um, You've seen that in the NFL where he's coached all of these great receivers. Um, You've seen in college when he coached Michael Westbrook and he coached Charles Johnson and he coached Darren Cheverini all the way through this year when he's bringing the best out of Devontae Parker. And you can name as many names as you want. He's had success. You go back to Vanderbilt where he was the offensive coordinator. He didn't have success. That was a bad offense. Uh, It's also Vanderbilt. You know what? You don't want to make too many excuses, but it didn't it didn't go all that well. You go back to UCLA, mixed bag. Um, he went to five bowl games, and if you're upset about him being the head coach because he went six and six four times and ten and two t- once, I don't know what to tell you. Um, is that perfect? No. Is is that going to win you a national championship? No. It's not going to win you a Pac-12 title either. More than likely. But what it can do is help you take a step. And if he comes in here and over the next five years goes to five bowl games and has those records, and we aren't all thrilled with how things are going, then I think we might be kind of living with our heads in the clouds. It, that, that would be such a great step forward. And then all of a sudden you're in that position to make a jump. You know, I was talking to Ryan Konigsberg uh, about this, and he's out in Indianapolis at the Combine, um, so I'm not sure when we're going to be able to hear from him on the podcast again, but he made a great point. Mike McIntyre's job was to take the bus from point A to point B. That means they were a bad program. They were winning two games. McIntyre came in. He got them up to, you know, he got them to a bowl game. He got them close to a bowl game a few more times. And then you need somebody to take him from point B to point C. That, that's a guy like Carl Durrell who can say, you know what? You're right here. You're on the brink. Let's start actually winning. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to teach you the fundamentals. You're going to learn how to actually play football. We're going to manage game situations, right? We're going to win on special teams. You're going to know the details. You're going to go into every matchup knowing the tells that you need to know from your opponents because that's how football works. That's how you win football games is all these little details. And that's what a smart guy like him can bring to the table. That'll get you your sixth win. That'll get you your seventh win. Who knows? Maybe it could get you your eighth. Eventually, you need a guy who can get you from point C to point D, which is actually competing for national championships, um, not just having good having success. Going to bowl games is a success. You're 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 doing well. There's another step that needs to be taken. I think that some people are saying Carl Durrell is not that guy. I don't think we can know that yet. I really don't think we can know that yet. I will say that I think that. Mel Tucker is the guy who can bring you from point B to point C to point D. Did we know that as of his opening press conference? No, we didn't. Uh, I think there are a lot of people saying, uh, and I was listening to some people say, you know, this isn't this isn't the flashy hire that Mel was. Mel wasn't a flashy hire. Mel was not. When when 
people heard that he was the guy getting the job, the reaction was, who is Mel Tucker? And then we looked into it. And then we saw, you know what? He's he's won national championships. He's He's been at Bama. He's been at Georgia. He has a great pedigree. And then over his first month, two months leading the program, you know, starting with the first press conference, people started to realize who he was and bought in. That's when we knew that Mel Tucker could be such a great coach. Carl Durrell, a little bit out of the blue. Um, he isn't somebody who we expected to get this job. He wasn't somebody we talked about um, because there are so many options that would kind of make sense. He has those ties the same way that, you know, uh, a Darren Cheverini has ties. And so he becomes part of the conversation the same way Andy a- Avalos has ties. And so he becomes part of the conversation. And when you're speculating, you're looking for people. And there are so many people who've been a graduate assistant at Colorado or have been whatever at Colorado that you could say, hey, there's something that would make him want to come back. We didn't notice Carl Durrell. Nobody noticed Carl Durrell. But I don't think that that means that he's a bad choice. And I don't necessarily think that means he's a second choice. Um, Because of the way this process worked. You know, he wasn't the first one offered the job. Um, it sounds like I mean, Sarkeesian was offered the job. He parlayed that into a raise at Alabama. Good for him. The way this process worked was Rick George and Lance Carl went through their first pool of applicants. They picked out four guys and said, you know what? We could see these four guys. Or maybe there was five guys or six guys and some of these names haven't come out. And they said, these seem like the type of guys who could bring Colorado to the next level. They went through the interviews. They decided they liked Sarkeesian. When, when he said he didn't want the job, they said, you know what? We don't really like the rest of this pool enough to give them the job. And so they reset the search. They rounded up another pool of candidates. They reached out to see who was interested. They interviewed some of the ones who were. Um, and after the interview with uh, Darrell, they said, you know what? This is a guy who can lead the program. He wasn't part of that first pool. They didn't pick Sarkeesian over him. Sarkeesian's name came to mind first, and so that's why he was part of that first pool. But you know what? It could have been the third pool that they liked the guy uh, the best out of anybody they've interviewed, but it didn't get that far. That's the way it works. Um, I think Carl Durrell is a good hire. Um, and I've talked about why uh, in some of the previous podcasts, I think one or two of the previous podcasts, I... I, I uh, I think today really locked in for me. You know what? He's a good football coach. You can just tell. The the way he understands the game, it's obvious. He knows the details. He knows that part, and he has the right personality. He's an adult in the room. Um, when he speaks, I mean, it isn't like Mel. M- Mel has a very commanding presence, whereas Carl is a little more laid back in not introspective mel was very introspective and so to say that say that that's different would be wrong i think it's the way in which they're introspective um carl takes a lot more pauses you know i i i did speech in high school uh we we were state champions by the way um but what what i was best at was impromptu speaking so essentially they just give you a quote um when you walk in the room you have three minutes to look at the quote um, and, and come up with a speech about it. And the speech has to be five minutes. And so you talk about whatever you rope in, whatever historical figures, whatever else, all this kind of stuff and, and preach. 
And one of the things you learn when it's all just off the top of your head, it's not written, it's not memorized, is that there's nothing wrong with pausing. Like, it's all about presence. The key is to not say, um, when you're in the pause, which is something I obviously struggle with. But but a pause can be something where you, like, add power to what you're saying. It makes it sound like it's calculated and that sort of thing. Carl does that. And he plays it so well. And sometimes the pauses get to the point where you're like, huh, where is he going with this? But then he just ropes it right back in. He is so in control of that presence. He he knows how to work the emotions when he's talking about how much he loves Colorado. Um, he just comes across as a man's man, somebody who you trust to lead this program, uh, somebody who the players can look up to, somebody who is going to... You know, honestly, I think keep a pretty tight grip on things. Um, even if he is more soft-spoken, Mel was also very soft-spoken. You know, he could get to the points where he's fired up, but I don't know. Carl, it, it, he brings out the emotion when he's talking about Colorado, when he's saying, you know, I was not going to take a college job. I was happy in the NFL. I was happy with my career path in the NFL. Things were heading in a direction um, that he liked. And you could totally see that. You know, he is the assistant head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And he's on that path, like we've talked about before, being that CEO type, that leader type. You know, the Miami Herald wrote that column about how he was kind of a transformational piece when the Dolphins rejuvenated their season he was the one who got up to the front of the room gave a speech and it resonated with the players and the players wanted to talk about it that's the type of guy he is he's inspirational he 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 uh, on his own brought up um bill mccartney and and what mccartney meant to him as he learned to coach here in colorado and talking about that connection with players being able to bring the best out of them as people and turn that into success on a football field building those relationships first and you could tell you could tell that he was kind of following that mccartney type of vibe um being kind of that inspirational here's what we're here to do which is very much you know mccartney has those great lines that he said um i don't like using the term leader of men because that was given to vance joseph but that is what you see um, from Carl, he looks like he's so in control, and the way uh, he he just has this smile too. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw this video that was the Buffs football team posted on Twitter this morning, but you, you it's like a video of a hallway. You can hear a bunch of people screaming in the background. Um, Carl's walking by. He has like a cup of coffee in his hand, um, and you kind of realize like, oh, that's the whole team waiting to meet Carl. They're waiting in the meeting room. And Carl like just has that smile, carrying the cup of coffee, looks at the camera and says, wow, it sounds like there's a game tonight or something. And just, I don't know, walks in. Everybody seems to have taken a liking to him. And you, you, see, you see what makes him a coach. You know, it isn't that resume. It isn't that you look at the offensive innovation like you would have with a lot of the people who I really like, the people who I would have chosen over Carl Durrell. Again, Without being in the interviews, who knows? But from the outside, seeing 
wow, Sarkeesian scheme. Graham Harrell could really fit here. He's a, he's kind of a, almost a run-first air raid scheme, and, and it lets the quarterback just look in front of him, play almost street ball, simple concepts. Everybody does their job every play because it's so simple to do your job. Put the ball in the playmaker's hands. Let him go make plays. You know, all these concepts, these philosophies that are so obvious when you watch their teams because they're football philosophies. But that's not where a guy like Carl Durrell starts. Carl starts with just life philosophies, a lot like um, McCartney did. You know, that's what he is remembered for, is being almost a preacher type, um, and then actually a literal preacher. But uh, but being that sort of leader first, and then letting his coaches do the coaching. And he said that it's very important for him to get a great coaching staff in behind him, and that he has the connections, and he, he has the money now. There, In case you didn't hear, as part of his contract, uh, I guess we haven't talked about the contract details on the podcast yet, but... Uh, he's, he's on a four year deal. It's worth $18 million. Uh, he, uh, will make $3.2 million this year in 2020. And that will go up by $200,000 each year, um, until the end of the deal. Um, I think that makes him the third highest paid coach in the pac 12. Uh, the assistant coaching pool is in increasing from $3.155 million to $3.8 million. Uh, I mean, what you can do a lot with six hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars—a lot. We'll see what he does. Okay, um, I want to tell you really quickly about the Strawberry Sky, which is an incredible beer. Uh, you can get it at Blake Street Tavern now. It's on tap. It's so good. Um, it's like we said, it's the perfect summer beer, but it's also a great beer for when you wish it was summer, um, just because it. it it doesn't taste fruity. I think that that's a common misconception of that beer. You hear strawberry sky, it's like, oh, it's like a strawberry beer. But it, it it isn't the fruitiness that you get. It just has like this tiny little bit of strawberry. It doesn't feel like sweet or sugary. It's almost just like the actual flavor of the strawberry, but without like the sugar, without the sweetness or the sourness. It's it's a weird thing. You just have to try it. It just has like this little thing. I love talking to the uh, people who crafted that beer and they explained the process of like getting the tiny bit of strawberry flavor to just appear right when like th- almost like right when you're swallowing the beer and then disappearing right after. So it's just like this little flash of strawberry there for a second. But mostly it just tastes like a pretty classic beer. You guys have to be drinking it. If you want to find it, you uh, should go to the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. It'll tell you exactly where you can find the Strawberry Sky um, and Blake Street Tavern, one of those options. Um, Also, would like to tell you about our good friends at Strava Craft Coffee. Uh, If you guys haven't tried it yet, it's to die for. It's great coffee. Um, it's CBD infused, which means that it can also help with back pain or migraines. And the best part is if you purchase online and use the code DNVR20, you can save 20% and they'll ship it right to you. Just give it a try. There's, there's no reason not to. Um, you can also try it, um, at a couple of different local coffee shops, including the Carbon Cafe, um, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, Max Market. CBD isn't psychoactive. It's just the part that like the athletes want to use to like recover. Um, you, you should you should definitely be checking it out because you can get 20% off with the code DNVR20. Um, do that. Okay. 
Uh, next up, I kind of want to get into the specifics of this uh, this press conference, and there's a lot to unpack. Um, I do think that the biggest point to hammer home, and it's the one that uh, Carl Durrell really wanted to spend the most time on, and that's that he really does love Colorado. You know, he he talked about uh, the history here and what the history means and how you sell that history. And when you're recruiting, you say, Michael Westbrook came through here. Charles Johnson came through here. Uh, you can go to Rashawn Salam. He went through here. Um, Philip Lindsay came through here. And and the bonus that um, Darrell comes with is that he was a part of those teams. Uh, he was here from, I think, 1990 to 1993. Maybe it was 91 to 93. And then came back uh, later in the 90s as offensive coordinator. He's tied to that era of the program. That's that's the Colorado Buffaloes team that he knows um, and that he expects this place to be. And I think that that's a really important concept to uh, keep in mind is that he doesn't associate with the losing years, essentially. He associates the Buffaloes with the winning seasons, what was going on then. Um, and, you know, Colorado has always felt like his home. That's what he said. Um, his family actually uh, got a house out here a couple of years ago. Uh, the story he told of interviewing for this job was that he was in Miami um, as he worked for the Dolphins, as you probably know by now, he was a receivers coach, recently got promoted to assistant head coach, um, was on an upward trajectory. And you forget that we like to talk about the guys who get their head coaching experience at 36, 37, and maybe it's rough, but uh, they go back, they coordinate an offense or two, and then they jump back into a head coaching gig and things kind of start to gel a little bit more um, because they have that experience. You forget how many guys don't get their first head coaching jobs until late in their career. You know, when they are in their 50s or even in their 60s. You know, Vic Fangio with the Broncos being an example. Carl obviously does have the experience. He was at UCLA from 2003 to 2007. Um, so he did have that experience as well. But it isn't that weird for him to be on that path and for him to be seen in NFL circles as kind of that guy that's on that upswing um, to be trending toward one of those positions, which isn't something that I had considered coming into this, but it was something that he mentioned today. Um, like I said earlier, he said that the only reason that he or would leave the Dolphins would be if Colorado's head coaching job came open. Uh, he wasn't interested in going to other schools, but because this feels like home, because his family lives here, um, he doesn't, I mean, I guess I left the story a little bit, but the story is he's in Miami. Uh, he He's getting ready to come back to Colorado for the weekend uh, because the NFL Combine uh, is actually this week. It starts today. Um, and so Brian Flores, the coach of the Miami Dolphins, said, you guys all get Friday off, get the weekend off. Let's get ready to go Indy next week. Um, and so that meant that Thursday night, Carl was headed back to Boulder where he has his house, um, actually just outside Boulder, I think. Um, and he was going to stay through the weekend. Thursday afternoon, Rick George calls him up and says, hey, uh, out of the blue, are you interested in this open job? Would you want to talk about it? And Carl says, uh, yes, that's my dream job. Um, I'm actually flying to Colorado tonight. Um, Rick wanted to meet at Carl's house because it's so off the radar. And 
they didn't i mean obviously if you go out to the restaurant everybody sees hey look there's carl Durrell and rick george at a restaurant and rick george really doesn't want rumors about his coaching searches getting out that's another crazy thing people said you're going to hear nothing everybody's going to be dead silent about all of this um and i was like okay yeah I can get information, um, and I was a little bit smug about it, to be honest, but then you get into it, and it's like, wow, it's it, it's not that your sources just aren't willing to talk to you about it, it's that they aren't even in the loop about things, so any little bit you can get is just so rare and even harder to confirm, um, but back to the point. So Carl comes out, they talk, um, and obviously things went well, he got the job, Uh you know, if, if you were worried about getting a coach who's interested in leaving, this isn't that guy. Uh, there are concerns for sure. Um, you know, what's it like recruiting when you haven't, I mean, I guess 2014, he was the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt. He would have done some recruiting then. Um, left UCLA for, well, I guess, I mean, he got fired from UCLA in 20, 2007 and then went to the NFL. You don't recruit in the NFL. So he hasn't recruited much in a long time. Uh, what does what does that mean? Does is he able to sell working in the NFL um, as easily as other coaches have said you're able to? Um, because again, he gets to go into uh, recruits' houses and say, "Oh, you're a receiver. Guess what I just did with Devonte Parker." There you go. Uh, same thing with Brandon Marshall, Ed, Ed McCaffrey, um, Eric Decker. Uh, these are all guys who these people look up to. Um, you know, he he's working under Brian Flores. He's working under a bunch of big name coaches. Uh, he has in the past too, uh, Rex Ryan. These are all guys who are close contacts. He's close with Eric Bieniemy and the Chiefs and Andy Reid, and he has those contacts. Um, he's very close with Tom Cable, and I think that that's an interesting name to watch through all this. The Raiders' offensive line coach. Um, don't be surprised if there's some buzz coming out about Tom Cable. Um, but these are all guys who recruits have heard those names. It's like talking about celebrities. It's like saying, hey, you you want to rap? Guess what? I worked with Kanye West. Like, like, like that kind of stuff, if you play it right, can be very valuable. And especially saying, oh, you know Devontae Parker? You, you know he caught 600 receiving yards last year and then over 1200 when I was in charge of him, when I was helping him out again, like that stuff is just so, so valuable. Um, again, you go through this guy's contact list. He knows everybody. He, he went through it. I asked him today, uh, when you're trying to fill out your coaching staff, are you looking more at guys who, you know, from your time in the college ranks or in the NFL? And he said, uh, essentially that he's looking for guys for good teachers and it isn't necessarily where they come from as much as it's about what they're all about and whether they do have that teach first mentality and whether they're trying to build relationships with the kids and, and then from there learn about them learn what their learning style is and then just try to get this information into their head uh, teach them how to run routes um, teach them how to use their size use their speed teach them how to see what the defense is doing um, and receivers coaches that doesn't sound like a, a, a really important position you know in the grand scheme of things you, you run through and you're like yeah you have the coordinators um you, you have the quarterbacks coach which is like the coordinator's like right hand man sometimes the coordinator does that and, and and it kind of feels like receivers coach it's not head coach 
It's not coordinators. It's not assistant head coach. It's not, and so so it kind of falls down the list a little bit. But there's a reason you see receivers coaches be almost interchangeable with quarterbacks coaches. When you're looking through um, the history of a guy, a lot of the time it's like back and forth between quarterbacks coach and receivers coach, or maybe makes a jump to offensive coordinator. And that's kind of the, the little circle of positions. They're all taught the same way because so much of it is about reading coverages and, and teaching receivers, hey, look, he's an off man here. Here's how you combat that. Here's how you beat that. Here's how you read what this defense is doing so that you know where the gaps are going to be. You know, it's it's so important for a quarterback and receiver to have chemistry, but that chemistry comes from reading what the defense is doing the same way, knowing where to break off routes because of what the coverage dictates, um, knowing where the little holes in the zone where you can sit down on drag routes are because that's where the quarterback's going to read to and wait for you to hit those and sit down right there and leave the ball there for you. Again, the, the reading those coverages is very important, and, and that's something that... Uh, Carl Durrell is very good at. That's why his receivers have so much success because so much of the game planning is involved in in that position, going through, looking at the tape and saying, hey, here's what you're looking for here against this team because he's a smart guy. Um, We don't know what his scheme is. Uh, He was asked about it today and had some interesting notes. Um, Maybe not all that detailed, maybe not the type of stuff that I nerd out about. And if you guys are frequent listeners to this podcast, then you know, like kind of the vibe of the show over the last couple of weeks when these names have come up. Um, but we did get some of his base football philosophies. And again, I want to hammer home that this isn't somebody who you hire because of his football philosophies. Um, what, what makes him stand out is his, life philosophies and coaching philosophies and the idea that you teach players first and not that you try to spread a defense out first. You know, that's that's the difference between a guy like Darrell and a guy like some of these big-name coordinators who are known as the preeminent football minds. Um, I don't necessarily lean toward one type more than the other. Um, they, they both obviously have strengths, Um You've seen both have success. Um, Bill McCartney being an example of the inspirational mind, and you know Bill Belichick being an example of a football mind. Um, I think that, and I said this before, that hiring a guy because of um, the the non-football philosophies first, um, the leadership traits first. Um, somebody who you're hoping uh, becomes a role model, um, somebody who these guys look up for and like to play for and want to do their best for and want to build a relationship with and, you know, these sorts of things. Um, You see them not be as hyped early on because they typically don't rise through the ranks quite, quite as quickly as the football minds. You know, the guys who are getting head coaching jobs at 34, 35, 36, those are guys who are great X's and O's guys. Um, because you can prove that so much more easily and that can come from studying and creativity. That's the combination you really need to have. You need to be focused enough that you can learn the history of football and what's gotten it to this point. And you also need to know, like you have to have that creative mind. You have to be sharp enough to come up with little tweaks to things, to make it your own, to make it something new and to be innovative. And that's stuff that you can show when, when you're that young. Um, 
it just takes a little bit more time to become the the full leader type. Um, takes that wisdom. Um, and that's why you see those other guys rise more quickly and become the hot names that we hear about. Um, with Darrell, though, because he has that reputation, um, you'd expect some big names um, to, to want to come coach for him, to coordinate for him, uh, because he has those connections and he's proven to so many guys that he's that way and that they'll buy in and say, yeah, this guy's going to get the players going. I want to be a part of this. This will be good for my career. He's made so many stops. He, you'd think that he would be able to pull some of those guys. And so that's where a lot more of the excitement is going to come as if, hey, what if, what if this Tom Cable thing is real? You know, he's he was the head coach in the NFL, and there are some problems in his history, but, you know, those are a ways back, and we've ignored some problems that other people have had. Uh, you know what? We'll, we'll see how that plays out. But, but he is somebody who would, at least should, really excite you. I mean, if, if we're taking the off-field stuff um, out of the way, he is known as one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. And I think in the last few years, a couple of his lines haven't been quite so good, but he hasn't been given talent. And I guess this year, the the, the Raiders' offensive line made a massive jump um, from the year before, and he was in charge. He's a very good coach. He's one of the best in the business. And if you get him somehow at Colorado, that'd be huge. And that's the type of name that... You know, we aren't talking about if, you know, for example, if Darren Cheverini's the head coach, he doesn't have ties to Tom Cable. He isn't close friends with guys like Tom Cable, I, I would assume. You know, he has his own history. He was in the NFL. He met some guys there. But when you have as many stops as Carl has um, and you are as well-respected as Carl is, you'd expect to have a lot of contacts um, and there are going to be some names flying around that I think we're all going to be pretty excited about. Maybe even Chris Kapilovic. But um, yeah, I, I I I think that I think that there will be some more excitement coming, um, even if you don't necessarily hear uh, Darrell's name everywhere um, or didn't before this happened. Oh, there's a lot of thoughts. Again, he really wanted to hammer home his Colorado ties, that he really wants to be here, that he doesn't want to be um, in the NFL where you, you spend four or five weeks at home every summer in between sets of workouts and you're on the road. He gets to live with his family at his house, um, which is something that I think he seems pretty into. Um, it was all very genuine. It was fairly emotional. At, at one point, it looked like he might wind up in tears talking about how badly he wanted this job. Um, that's a starting point, and it gives him a lot of upside um, because if things go well, he's not one you expect to jump ship, especially because you know Rick George kind of proved by making him the third highest paid coach in the Pac-12 that this whole Colorado doesn't have money to spend thing just isn't true. Um is it is it Big 12 or, or I guess like Big 10 money, SEC money? It isn't. Um, and we're going to dig into some of the Pac-12 money things here in the next couple of days once this all dies down. But uh, it's not like they're broke. And if they start winning football games, they're going to be able to... They're, they're going to keep making more money and have more money to spend on things. And you just got to get that started by winning some games. Carl Durrell good football coach um 
and you'd expect to see him win some games. He, but yeah, I, I asked him, going back to this question, I, I asked him, are you looking more at guys you met in the NFL, guys who are in the college ranks? Um, and he said, again, he's looking for teachers. He's looking for guys who fit that philosophy, who are building relationships first, who know how to teach the game of football. Um, it's similar to some of the stuff that we heard from Mel about him wanting to have teachers. And so that would make you think that some of these guys on staff might be in that type of vein, but then he lists off all the names of guys he's worked with. And he's like, you know what? Um, Kyle Shanahan, he's a good teacher. And you saw him, he was a graduate assistant under, he was a graduate assistant under Durrell. And then he's in the NFL and he's kind of bounced around with the NFL and the NCAA. And you know, the list just kept going and going and going. Um, it's impressive stuff. It's really impressive stuff. Um, and again, he's very well respected. Uh, I thought he handled today very well. I think that the biggest question going forward is recruiting um, because that is the one thing that he hasn't uh, done in so long. I think when you look at him as a guy that the team is going to want to play for, yep, he's going to be able to get those guys fired off up. You can almost see it now. He's, he's the type where he is a little laid back um, he isn't one who's going to get overly amped up, um, more of like the clinical, rational type approach to the job. But that just means that, you know what, when, when he does pull an upset over a big school and he does get fired up, that's going to mean something. Like that's the type of stuff that you build off of. And seeing him get fired up will get other people fired up. You know, he... he you, I just feel like in my head I can see so clearly how something like that is going to happen and I was going to be able to use those emotions in that way. Like He, he has that side down. He has the connections. Um, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, the one knock, though, like I said, recruiting. Um, because his recruiting wasn't great at UCLA. And I thought that he had something interesting to say. So, so somebody asked him uh, whether he... Um, felt like he learned anything from his first stint as a head coach at UCLA. And he said, yes. Or no, that wasn't the question. So there was that question, but the one that had the most interesting answer uh, in that vein, I thought, was when he was asked whether he had other opportunities um, to be a head coach since then. And he didn't give a, a clear answer one way or the other, but he said, I came away thinking yes, but he really didn't pursue them at all um, because he said that one of the things he learned at UCLA was that you need to be in the right situation. And we talked about his pauses earlier, and this is one of the points I wanted to bring up when we were talking about that. But one of the pauses that almost seemed like a little too long, we are like, He's really he's really thinking about what he's supposed to say here. Um, was he said, you know, you have to be somewhere where you have the resources to compete, and that makes you think back to what was happening at UCLA at the time. They were going through their budget crisis. They weren't spending a lot of money. It made it really hard for them to compete against USC. Meanwhile, Pete Carroll's at USC recruiting all of the talent in Los Angeles, which is obviously where UCLA pulls most of its players from. And that's a really similar message to what Mel 
uh, said about Colorado when he took the job, saying, you know what, this is somewhere that has enough resources to win um, and is willing to use those resources and work with me on things. And maybe we aren't able to do everything I want to do, but we're going to get pretty close. And late in Mel's time, I do think that there were some issues about what could be done and what couldn't be done. Um, but with with Carl, he comes in saying essentially those same things. It isn't just because this is a job that I had the opportunity to take. It was that I think that this is the right job and a job where I can be successful. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if the, the knocks on recruiting are real, um, whether he can recruit at a Pac-12 level, whether his ties to LA still, you know, because he, he was at UCLA for five years. That means he's in contact with a lot of the big time high school coaches in LA for five years. And if he's building relationships there, the way, the way he's built relationships at every other job he's had, you'd expect for some of those to still come through. You'd expect for those high school coaches in LA to be saying, Hey kid, listen to what this guy has to say. Um, he, he can do some big things with you. Um, and, and I think that while there are certainly questions uh, about whether he can recruit, don't forget that the biggest recruiting market in the Pac-12 is kind of going to be like home territory in some ways for him because he does, does still likely have those relationships that he can build off of um, on the recruiting trail. Again, it's no guarantee. Uh, it could be that he's too out of touch. He doesn't know how to... Uh, come across how to preach a message to kids um, in 2020, but that's all speculation and that's what we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, Before we talk about your comments and questions, I want to uh, talk about Bojo's Pizza, which is an incredible pizza company, something that you have to be trying Um, If you mention DNVR, you can get a free honey cheese brand bread with the purchase of an entree. It's a great deal. It's one of many deals that we have for our subscribers. And you've got to check it out. It's good pizza. It's a staple in Colorado. Uh, Their mountain pies are incredible. They have gluten-free options. They have vegan options. They have a salad bar. They have all sorts of things. Dairy-free. Allie has to get the dairy-free stuff. Um... It's, it's a great local company that we are happy to support, and hopefully you guys are supporting them too. Again, mention DNVR. Get a free honey cheese bread with the purchase of an entree. Okay, uh, into the comments now. I think we have two. The first is see what Folsom. First, can we not say it's been 20 to 25 years since a coach has been able to consistently win six games at CU? The past 15 years have been bad enough. Let's not add a decade on to that. Yes. I'm not sure if I said that, but yeah, um, essentially we, yeah, we don't need to get to when exactly things were bad, but, uh, you know what? If, if, like I said, Carl can come in, get four, six win seasons and a 10 win season in the next five seasons, the buffs are going to be in a good spot going forward. Um, I think that that's that next step, um, before they really can contend for national championship, whether Carl's the guy who can get him over that hill too. We'll see, but I'm confident that he can get him over this next hill, which is being a consistent bowl eligible team. Uh, second, your podcast aged extremely poorly with the assumption that Darrell was going to get a big assistant coaching staff salary pool. Huh. While it did increase 20%, it is still ninth in the Pac-12. 
Darrell is also ninth head coach's salary with all of Cristobal's bonus. Oh, bonuses. Huh. Um, I'm going to check on that real quick and be right back. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. We don't have like the actual numbers from the private schools. So he's third out of the public schools in the Pac-12. Um, Utah giving Whittingham just over $4 million. Uh, UCLA giving Chip Kelly $3.5 million. Um, and then you have uh, uh, Carl Durrell right after them. Um, David Shaw, likely the highest paid. The estimates have him at like $4.6 million. Um, USC, Clay Helton is probably just above. Um, I think, I think Corey, like USA Today has their salary database. They have Clay Helton as uh, 3.218 instead of 3.2. So he's actually like the fifth. Uh, yeah, so Cristobal hitting his bonuses. So Cristobal's base, he's at 2.6 million. Um, he won a bunch of games. So he, he probably has like million dollar bonuses at least. But um, yes, so Cristobal is technically making more because of the bonuses. But it's also worth noting that... Uh, Darrell's 3.2 that's going to be before bonuses and I don't think they've released an official contract I guess they wouldn't until after the regents take it over so we'll have to see what exactly his bonuses look like um odds are he's not going to get whatever bonuses I mean like Rose Bowl seems like a stretch this year uh so yeah you do have to take that into account for sure but uh I mean when you look at the schools paying more money for the head coach it's not that bad. Um, also looking at the USA Today um, salary pool um, for assistant coaches, I couldn't find um, any numbers for 2020, but we know that um, in 2019, um, Arizona State, Cal, U- Utah, UCLA... Oregon and Washington had larger assistant coach pools. So what's that? That that puts Colorado right around the middle of the pack. Um, which in the grand scheme of things, when you're coming off uh, tying for the second worst record in the conference, isn't all that bad. And again, those numbers I really do think will jump up. Um, assuming Colorado wins. If things don't go well and they lose games, then you could see those numbers go down as well. Um, also, there are some teams. I'm not sure who is anybody really close behind. Um, oh, also, so let's see. Washington was the highest at almost six million. Um, Oregon was second highest at almost five million. Third was UCLA at four point two. They have Utah at four point one. Cal at four. Um, Arizona State at four. So it's not like there's a huge gap. Like Washington, Oregon, there's a bit of a jump. And then when you look behind, so let's see, they were at 3.8. So then the next team behind Colorado, Washington State's at 3.4 last year. Uh, Colorado's at 3.155 last year. Oregon State was at 3.1 last year. Arizona was under 3 million last year. Um, So we'll see where the money changes. But the good news is that they should have a better assistant coaching staff. Well, I don't know. 
because you also have to factor in that you're going to have to pay a little bit extra this time of year. Um, so maybe it works out to be worth about the same. And next year you see a bit of a jump in like the quality. Obviously, it's not it's not a game of Madden where everybody's just rated 1 to 99 based on how good they are. And you can say definitively this is a better coach. Um, we'll see how things play out. Uh, let's see. Where does it go from there? Also, I'm old enough to remember last year when we were all excited about the coaches Tucker would bring in from Saban's tree, and it turned out to be largely unknowns slash quality control guys. Some worked out well, but pinning our hopes on this hire being made based on great assistant coaching hires seems to be a fool's errand. Yeah, I could see that. And again, we have to wait for all this to play out. And then we have to wait two or three years to see whether he's actually a good coach and whether getting good assistance panned out and all that kind of stuff. But for this step of the process... Um, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, hearing what other people have had to say about Carl has made me feel even more confident. Uh, yeah, we'll see what he can bring in in terms of assistant coach. Obviously, I wasn't covering the Buffs last year, so I wasn't a part of that conversation about Mel Tucker bringing in his coaches. Um, I didn't see the reaction to what what people thought about Tyson Summers at the time, any of this kind of stuff. So we will see how all of that goes. Um, I know that... I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Carl Durrell is going to be meeting down with a lot of the coaches um, today that are already at Colorado. Um, today's Monday. Then on Tuesday, he's going to finish up talking with the coaching staff, having all of his one-on-ones with everybody on staff. That way he can get to work uh, talking to the outside candidates for all of these spots um, and then also, I believe tomorrow when he's done talking to the coaches, he's going to start having one-on-ones with all the players, um, introducing himself, seeing what they're interested in, seeing uh, what they're looking for in coaches and trying to, you know, start building relationships. Um, and so that's the plan. And that's probably going to take most of the week because there are a lot of a lot of players on this football team. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see. Whether, you know, a guy like Chris Wilson, the defensive line coach, um, could be a target. He'd be a good get for sure. Um, I don't know. More more names will be coming out pretty soon. I'm pretty sure about. So stay tuned for that. Uh, worth noting that Will Piegler, uh, who was a quality control coach for CU in the fall, went to Michigan State where he's going to be a running backs coach under Mel Tucker. Um, so there's... One of them who's gone. Okay. Uh, Sunny Rain says, Hey, Henry, just finished watching the introductory presser. And I have to say that I know one thing for sure. Carl Durrell is a forever buff. The only way he leaves is if CU moves on from him. He is not going to leave CU. There were a few moments where I thought he was going to break down in tears. I think the football program has, has found its tad boil. And you know what? I'm good with it. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, I think at this point, all you can do is be excited. I think you look at the bright sides and say, hey, there's a lot to like about this guy. You like his personality. He is incredibly easy to root for. I'm not sure if you guys saw that Troy Calhoun interview the day after after he was rumored to be talking with the Buffs. It was like they, they were after practice. He had a media availability and people were asking him. And I mean, it it was just awful he he was asked, you know, did you interview for the job? And he literally responded, did I? Like, like, like a child would. But yeah, so it was just, 
it was just awful. And I think it was the Colorado Springs Gazette that just published a transcription of that whole media availability because it was just so awful. And that was one of the weird things to me throughout this process was that there was this narrative that uh, the media is just in love with Troy Calhoun and that's why he was being talked about as a potential candidate for head coach at Colorado. And that is not the case. That is not the case at all. Um, because he does not speak much with the media at all. And what he's, again, it, when you see that interview uh, that the Colorado Springs Gazette posted, that media availability, or is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. But um, when you see that, you just think, yeah, that's what you expect. And when ESPN says, or the ESPN reporters are like, wow, how is he doing this? This is so childish. We're all just like, this is not a surprise at all. That's actually kind of what we expected from this media availability was that he was just going to be combative and not answer any questions and get all angry and do that kind of stuff. Um, so I do want to say that, that this narrative that like the local media is pushing for him to do that, it's like, eh, that relationship is not what you might think it is. Um, and, you know, in his defense, Air Force doesn't get the coverage that it probably deserves. You know, it has been the most successful Division One program in the state recently. Um, Colorado... You know, a, a seven-win Colorado season is more impressive than a ten-win Air Force season, and so I don't think that's by the margin you'd expect. But but hey, you know what? They've been winning a lot of games, um, and still not many people covering that team. And when they do cover it, you know, it's like CU week, they want to know what you think of CU. Um, when they get down there, whenever they get down there, they're asking questions that he probably doesn't want to have to be answering about the program at that point. Like they're pretty simple questions and that gets frustrating, but still that relationship is not a good one. And the idea that the media was pushing for him. No. Um, okay. Um, yeah, again, back to the point before I derailed there, uh, you know, there's a lot to like. Um, there are definitely some question marks, um, what even is his offense? Oh, and we didn't get into the scheme. I led into that. Um, he said that, you know, they've been running the 3-4 scheme recently. They have the personnel for a 3-4 scheme. They won with the 3-4 scheme when he was here in the 90s. Uh, he likes the diversity it gives, that um, you can match up with different sets with small changes with that scheme. You aren't as locked in as you are in some others. Um it sounds like that's kind of what you'd expect. At the same time, if you bring in a 4-3 coordinator, then you might see a 4-3. Uh, if it's Tyson Summers, you probably just see more of the same. We'll see where that goes. Um, offensively, uh, he wants balance. You know, he doesn't want to pound the ball. Um, he he isn't following that exact mold that was kind of being built here. This is a running football team. We're going to beat you up in the trenches, and we're going to run the ball as much as we can. Um, he, he values the run. He says that for... Um, and an offensive or a passing game type of guy, he is pretty heavy on the run. Um, but what he's looking for is balance there. At this point, the personnel may dictate more running the ball. And at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is to do what it is best at, um, which means they'll probably be running the ball more this year. That's what I read into that. Um, he also really emphasized the defense, uh, which is something that I didn't anticipate. I, I do think that for even though he is an offensive-minded coach, that this will be a very defensive-oriented team, um, that that's kind of going to be the identity, that the cornerstones of the team are going to be guys like Nate Landman, 
Um, and he was dropping some names from way back when he was here too. You know, Alfred Williams, all them. But uh, complimentary football. He didn't use that phrase that Mel Tucker loved so much, but it was kind of the underlying tone um, when he was talking about his scheme. Um, didn't get a chance to ask if he's planning on calling plays. That's probably going to be dictated by who his offensive coordinator ends up being, um, I would guess. But we'll, we'll see um, about all of that kind of stuff. And once you see the coordinators, I think you'll see more of what the tactics of this team are going to be. I mean, we do we, we do know it's a West Coast offense, but there are so many variations of that that um, we don't know. And again, like these connections, is he going to have time to just take a trip out to Kansas City and talk to Andy Reid and talk to... Uh, Eric Bieniemy about what this what their offense is. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that he's going to do because that's just what you expect from a guy who has all those connections because you can use all of those connections to help you build this offense. And I think we're going to be hearing stories like that um, in the near future. So, yeah, um, those are some of my initial thoughts after finally like I I, I didn't like get to shake hands and meet him, but I. Got to ask him a question and heard him talk for 40 minutes, so I feel like I got to know him a little bit. Um, that's kind of where I stand. Um, I, I like it. I like it. You know, I, as somebody who is into football for the tactics more than anything else, Sarkeesian would have been fun. Graham Harrell would have been fun. Troy Calhoun would have been really, really fun. Um, option concepts mixed with a West Coast offense. What could be better than that? Um, whether it all worked out for him, whether he's capable of melding those things together in the way that Andy Reid is. Who knows? But it would have been fun. Um, And so this was the type of guy who I wasn't as high on coming into it. Um, Hearing him talk, though, you see why they would do it. You see why people would want to follow him. Um, He was emotional. Uh, He wants to win here. And I think it's very obvious that he wants to win here and that he thinks that Colorado has the resources to win. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're spending enough money right now to win, but if they if they win eight games this year, no, not even that. They, they win six games and go to a bowl game this year, they're going to see some pretty significant budget increases because you're going to start selling more stuff, um, you're, you're going to uh, get the boosters more involved, and then you get into the seven, eight wins, and that's going to build, and it's just about keeping that progress so that the money keeps flowing in, um, and right now, Colorado's spending more money than the wins would make you think it'd be capable of. Um, it's about just building, building, getting that new TV deal. <sighs> One note on the TV deal. I said we're going to talk a lot about this in the future, and I'll probably be tomorrow maybe, but um, the, the note is this. You know, holding on to the Pac-12 media rights, the conference doing that, could turn out to be very valuable. Um I, I was reading up on it this this weekend just because I was curious, and a lot of the economists are saying, "Hey, so far every time in the history of you know media, holding on to the rights longer than you've had to has panned out. There's been somebody the media has just become more and more and more valuable. That having those an extra year, an extra three years, an extra ten years has turned out to be worth millions and millions of dollars." Um, we know because of a Sports Business Journal report that there have been companies that have bid $750 million 
um, multiple companies building $750 million or more um, for a share of the rights to the Pac-12 network. And, you know, for honestly as bad of a product as the Pac-12 network can be at points, um, it's pretty crazy that that's the money that people are willing to invest in that. And if you do that, I'll do the math. That's $62.5 million per school that's just sitting right there. And if the Pac-12 wanted to cash out and do that, they could do that. But but that's the power of owning those rights um, that the Big Ten, the SEC, now those schools own themselves. Um, I'm not pro Larry Scott. I don't think the Pac-12 is in a good spot, but that is a major plus um, that could be extremely valuable in the future. Um, you know, if Twitter wants to start streaming things, there's just so much potential there. And at the very worst, you cash out, pull in $62 million um, per school. You likely give out $10 million per year per school. Um, just increase those payouts a little bit, um, invest the rest, um, and then do that till it's gone. And by then you have a new TV deal and you can flex on having those payouts. There's potential here. There's potential for the Pac-12 to get back on top. You just need to manage it right. But let's not dig into Larry Scott right now. Um, but there's just one thought of that could maybe give make you a little bit more hopeful. Um, $750 million and the Pac-12 still would have, uh, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but some ownership of the Pac-12 network. If you guys have questions or comments, leave them on the post for today's show at thednvr.com. We'll dig into all those tomorrow. Um, what do you think of the press conference? What do you think of um, Darrell? Maybe there will be news breaking. I doubt that the assistant coaching search will make too much progress before then just because he's still working through all of the assistants on staff, getting to know them, having their one-on-ones. Um, but yeah, any names you like, throw them out there. Let's talk about it. I feel good. I'm not saying Carl Durrell is Dick Saban, but I, I, you could see him being a good Pac-12 head coach just because it didn't go well. And why, why do I keep saying it didn't go well? It went well. You know, nobody's had success at UCLA since him. Um, it's not like he was the lone down spot, only, going, or only finishing with, with six and six records four of his five seasons. That just hasn't been a strong football program. He didn't have the financial support he was recruiting against Pete Carroll and USC when USC was like USC. So there you go. Um, let's wait, see what, see what pans out. Um, he looks like a coach. He sounds like a coach. Um, and he has a little McCartney in him, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. If you like this show, uh, please leave a review at iTunes. Really appreciate those. Um, and, would love to have more good reviews or bad reviews, whatever, be honest or make me happy. Either one. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back tomorrow with more buffs talk, probably dig into some basketball as well. And the pac 12, hopefully. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know, I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway, my Colorado sway.
shit 180. 80. Speeding past competence and see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boaters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh -huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Hey. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it anytime. Yeah. It started at the scrimmage, we gon' win it at the line. Yeah. My Colorado swag in the middle of the ring. Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.